You're listening to a Stranger podcast. www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. I'm going to go out on a limb here and just say that people are not going to stop having oral sex. A study came out last couple weeks that has some people in a panic, a sex panic, which is really what America is best at. If you could bottle and sell sex panic, we would have – there would be no problem in our economy because we can produce that shit at an appalling, astounding rate. New study came out from the University of Ohio found that three-quarters of all throat cancers in men are HPV infection related or caused, caused by HPV infection. But guys, before you spit the pussy out and back out of the room, you got to know that HPV-related throat cancers, uh, we're not talking big numbers. There's fewer than 10,000 throat cancers a year. Uh, Half those are in women. A quarter of them are caused by in men smoking. So we're talking about a handful, relatively speaking to population size, of throat cancers. And HPV-related throat cancer, for reasons they do not yet understand, uh, is much less deadly The headlines scream, three-quarters of all throat cancers in men caused by basically oral sex. Uh, And yet people don't get to throat cancers. This is – I'm reading from the New York Times story about it. They don't get to the 40th paragraph. Throat cancers caused by HPV are more treatable than those not caused by the virus. Median survival in throat cancer patients with the virus is 131 months. Without it, that is throat cancers they believe may be caused by smoking or some other cause, uh, a 20-month median survival rate. So these throat cancers, when they're caught early and treated as they should be, uh, much more survival. And again, we're talking about a tiny, tiny number of throat cancers. You know how many people get sick from foodborne illnesses in the United States every year? 50 million. And yet uh, we're not talking about people giving up food to protect themselves from foodborne illnesses. And most of those you know, are very minor, but some of them are severe as we've seen with people dropping dead in the last few weeks from eating fucking cantaloupe. Another caveat the studies uh, are ignoring is it's not just that guys can stop giving blowjobs and then you're going to be protected from HPV infection and the small risk of oral cancer or throat cancer uh, should you become exposed to HPV, uh, but also that they believe that these viruses, the, the, the strain of HPV that can lead to throat cancer in a small percentage of men, it's also passed by kissing. So if she's blowing you and you're exposed to HPV or you've had more than a handful of sex partners, uh, it's not just that you have to go without oral. You have to go without kissing, which I don't believe anybody is willing to do. And perhaps most aggravating for me watching all this be reported is that what isn't in the headlines is what needs to be in the headlines. We need to start vaccinating everyone against HPV, not just women, not just girls. Everyone, both of the HPV vaccines currently available that are recommended uh, for all young women and recommended to protect against anal cancer in boys, uh, target the HPV strain linked to these oral cancers in adult men. So we know that people aren't going to stop having oral sex. We know that people are not going to stop kissing because there's a tiny risk that you may draw the short straw and develop oral cancer 30 or 40 years or 20 years or 10 years down the road. So the HPV vaccine 
which is effective, very effective, saves lives, was in the news recently, of course, because Michelle Bachman, after a GOP debate, claimed that it caused mental retardation. Not in her, of course. The causes of Michelle Bachman's mental retardation have not yet been nailed down. But she claimed that somebody approached her after a debate and said that she had her daughter vaccinated against HPV and caused mental retardation in her daughter. And the last thing we need culturally, of course, is another bullshit anti-science uh, vaccine scare a la Jenny McCarthy. Uh, but it was in the news. It was widely debunked, uh, Michelle Bachman's claims. So I'm conscious as I make this call when I say get out there, vaccinate your daughters, vaccinate your sons, that there's, there are going to be people who will not vaccinate their daughters and sons. And who are these people? Well, they're nutbags like Michelle Bachman, mostly religious conservatives. Those people, they loved HPV the way it used to be. They loved the human virus because it killed women, we used to think, and women alone because uh, it can lead to cervical cancer in some women. And here was a potentially fatal sexually transmitted infection that condoms couldn't protect you from, right? Because you can contract HPV through skin-to-skin contact and also through kissing. And abstinence educators pointed at HPV and they jumped up and down. They love to overstate its seriousness. And most people, non-symptomatic, and most people, the virus is cleared. Most people, no uh, negative health uh, impact really at all. But they love to overstate HPV's deadliness and its seriousness in their efforts to what? To scare teenagers into saving themselves for marriage, which nobody does, right? Uh, absence education at best, studies show, delays the onset of sexual activity by six months and kids who've been subjected to it are less likely to use condoms when they do become sexually active and then more likely to contract a sexually transmitted infection or have an unplanned pregnancy. But they loved HPV and they fought the introduction, the Michelle Bachmans of the world. They fought the introduction of the vaccine tooth and nail because why? Because vaccinating women against HPV would, and I'm going to quote here, undermine the abstinence message. Given a choice between your wife, daughter, sister, or mom dying of cervical cancer or their own daughters dying of cervical cancer and no longer being able to scream, HPV is going to kill you, right? There's this fatal sexually transmitted infection condoms don't protect you from. Given that choice between your mom, wife, sister, daughter dying or their own mom, wife, sister, daughter dying or not having that argument to lean on in their bullshit abstinence education programs, they picked your mom, wife, sister, daughter dying and their own. And they will now that we know that boys need this vaccine just as badly. They are going to pick your father, son, uncle, brother, nephew dying over vaccination as we've seen with Michelle Bachman and Rick Perry and the whole – hee-haw gang on the right. So strike a blow for your child if you have a male child for your child's sexual health. If you have a female child, strike a blow for her sexual health by having them fucking vaccinated against HPV. You are not going to be able to prevent your son or daughter when they grow up from kissing or from engaging in oral intercourse, but you can make sure that they are protected from the deadly strains of HPV that lead to cervical cancer in women, anal cancer in boys, and now we know throat cancer in some men. So get him vaccinated. I have a 13-year-old son at home. We had him vaccinated. He is not retarded. Only his parents are retarded. Your call's after this. 
This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hey, Dan, I have a question. Um, I've heard before, um, while with athletes and boxers, how um, not you know a few nights before the game or before a fight, they won't have sex. Um, you know, I guess help their concentration. And I've also heard in relation to actors, uh, actually Tom Cruise, I heard this um, about that um, he refused to have sex when he was working on his feet. Um, something about his con- concentration and just being on focus. And I was wondering, is there any truth to that? I'm asking because uh, honestly, I feel like on days that I, you know, jerk off, for work, I feel like the rest of the day kind of just isn't as productive. Maybe it's just in my head, but I was just wondering if there's anything to um, confirm this. Does ejaculating throw you off a bit? The orgasm isn't just, you know, shit flying out of your dick or junk spunk flying out of your dick. It's, uh, you know, it's a whole set of sort of, you know, biochemical zap on your brain. You release all sorts of hormones, including prolactin, which is the hormone that makes you tired and sleepy. And for guys, as Debbie Herbenick, who's been on the show a few times, pointed out a few weeks ago, um, it regulates that gap between, you know, this orgasm and your next orgasm, between this getting it on and the next time you're up and ready to go and get it on. Also, oxytocin, which is sort of your brain's version of oxycontin, is released and something called vasopressin and all of these kind of make you feel sleepy and relaxed and at peace and at ease. So the reason you might feel a little less productive at work if you are beating off immediately before or slipping off to the can at work to rub one out is because you're zapping your brain with prolactin and all these other natural sort of feel-good drugs that take the edge off. And so athletes, actors, performers, people who have to kind of bring it at a particular moment might not want to have – all these things slopping around their head while they're doing their silly stunts in the latest Mission Impossible movie or trying to get the bouncy ball through the swishy basket. Uh, don't know about you. Don't know about how high pressure your workplace is, whether you have to deliver in the moment. Uh, but that's why uh, movie stars, some actors, some other people feel that they're not you know, bringing their best game uh, if they've had sex right before a competition. Other men, some men I might know, believe that they can't concentrate uh, if they're horny, if they're being distracted by horny, horny thoughts. And they do like to jerk off perhaps before a big game. Uh, and what we do know you know, about prolactin, and they're not sure exactly why this is or how this works, is that when you uh, have actual intercourse with another human being, your body releases four times as much of this sort of happy thought, sleepy feeling inducing hormone than when you jerk off. So you might you – know, you can split the difference. Instead of uh, having full-blown sex before the big game, the big shoot, uh, the big shift on your case, uh, if you'd want to risk having tons of prolactin in your head, don't have sex. Just rub one out. Hi, Dan. I'm 43 years old. I'm gay male. I've been out of the closet since I was 26. My brother is gay as well, my younger brother, and he's been out since he was 18. Our older brother is 45, and he's straight. And we were recently all invited to 
our father's girlfriend's uh, daughter's wedding, and he announced on the wedding invitation that he's giving away his daughter, and he is only a girlfriend, boyfriend rather, to uh, to this woman, and she's been in our lives for almost 20 years, um, and it's always been a very um, let's just say tolerant, mutually tolerant relationship. But uh, here's the deal. Uh, wedding invitation. She pulled me aside and she said, did you get the invitation? I said, yes. And she said, um, well, I just wanted to let you know something. Um, you know, we invited your brother to uh, bring a guest to the wedding, uh, his girlfriend, because uh, he's going to be DJing the wedding. But uh, we really want to keep the wedding small, so we, we don't want you and Derek to bring guests. And... Um, I wanted to know what your thoughts might be on very limited information. And of course, this is just one side of the story, but on a very basic level, I just felt very disrespected. And, um, my brother does as well. My gay does as well. Uh, we're going to a family wedding where our straight brother has been invited to bring a guest and we haven't. And uh, I think that my whole instinct, my gut instinct is just saying that there was just an excuse to let uh, my brother bring his girlfriend um, that is kind of transparent. And I'm just, uh, I'm just kind of, uh, I think it's kind of obvious, but uh, I, I'm trying not to be overly sensitive as uh, we gay people can be at sometimes only because we're hypervigilant because we anticipate um, second class citizenship treatments. But to be treated like this in your family, I'm just have, I'm, I'm kind of at odds with it. My take, someone who's going to a wedding to work, someone who's going to be DJing at a wedding is going to have less time to pay attention to a date than someone who isn't working at the wedding. The caterer doesn't bring a date. The minister doesn't bring a date. The DJ doesn't bring a date. So if they were looking to limit the guest list because they want to keep it small, uh, the person to scratch off the plus one list would be your straight brother. Not you, not your other gay brother. So this is an instance where I think some vigilance is in order because if you guys show up at this wedding and coincidentally enough, everybody who is straight was plus one and everybody in the family who is gay wasn't allowed to bring a date to limit the, you know, keep the wedding small by eliminating two people from it, your date, your brother's date. That's not something you want to realize at the wedding because then you're just going to get pissed the fuck off. This is a case where a little honesty is in order where you say, dad, uh, just curious how many other people aren't bringing dates. My brother and I, your two gay sons, uh, would like to know if we're the only people not being allowed to bring dates to this wedding because if we are, we're not coming. You really have to do the, draw that kind of line in the sand uh, with family, particularly after you've been out for them for decades you should not be subjected to this kind of treatment. And it is transparent. This is uh, – you know, if your brother wasn't bringing a date, your gay brother and your straight brother wasn't bringing a date and you weren't allowed to bring a date, maybe. But that your straight brother, coincidentally enough, because he's the DJ, that was the reason you're giving, because he's going to be so busy that his date will be sitting there alone the whole time, not able to dance with him or talk with him or eat with him or anything because he's going to be so busy – DJing the wedding that he needs to have somebody there with him. He needs to have a date. 
no, that doesn't pass the bullshit smell test. That reeks. And I would nail it down, find out what's really going on before you show up. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, adamandeve.com will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to adamandeve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE, and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs, plus receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from genres such as gay, lesbian, bisexual, how-to, animation, parodies, fetish, and a lot more that made the tech-savvy at-risk youth blush. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at adamandeve.com. Hi, Dan. Um, I was just wondering about um, the etiquette for like the first time you have sex with someone. Um, I oh, like always require like additional stimulation. I always touch myself during sex, and that's how I get off. And I have no problem with it. Um, but I guess I was wondering, like, from having sex for the first time with someone, like randomly one night stands or fuck buddies or something like that. Um, like, should I go ahead and just do that and like get it out of the way that like, Hey, this is like what I need. And like, this is what I want. And this is what gets me off. Or like, do I try to like give them the chance to try to make me come by themselves? Um, even though like, I know with my own personal, uh, with my own personal history that like, that's probably not going to happen. I still feel like I should try to, maybe give them the chance. And I know that some guys don't really like it whenever a woman does that right away. I don't know. I guess I feel like, fuck them. I should be able to, like, get off the way I want the first time. I shouldn't have to wait for, like, maybe the second time or the third time we have sex before I'm like, all right, this is what actually works. Two things. First, if a guy required, say, being hit in the side of the head with a hammer in order to get off... The first time you went to bed with him, he would lay out a lovely selection of hammers on the bedside table. And you could choose one to hit him in the side of the head with during sex. But you wouldn't have the option of not hitting him in the side of the head with the hammer during sex if that's what it took to get him off. You need to be similarly assertive, particularly with random hookups and fuck buddies. These are people where the stakes are, you know, emotionally pretty low and you should be you should feel uninhibited about just putting it out there. What it, what you need, how you get off, how it works, and you should be assertive and demanding. That is a very not commercialized because there's no money exchanging hands, but a very commodified relationship. Friends with benefits, fuck buddies. This is about you meeting their sexual needs in exchange for their meeting yours and you should not be inhibited at all if you require additional focused stimulation of your clitoris during penetration for you to climax and the best and most efficient way or the only way for you to get there is for you to finger yourself during sex. Fucking do it. Just fucking do it. And here's the other thing I would say. Watch some gay porn maybe with your – Lovely friends with benefit if they're confused about it. And, and here's what you'll see. A guy's getting fucked in the ass. And while he's getting fucked in the ass, if he's a gay guy and not a gay for pay straight porn star, he's stroking his own dick. All you got to do is point at that and go, that's what we're going to do. I'm the guy getting fucked and I'm going to stroke my own dick. Basically play with my own clit. 
there are no gay people in the world who are like, I oh, should I touch my own dick during while I'm getting fucked? Or, oh my God, he touched his own dick while I was fucking him. He must not, you know, work the way people are supposed to work when they get people have to touch themselves often when they're getting fucked. Your clitoris is not at the top of your vaginal canal. There's no way. 75% of the time that a guy just by fucking can get a woman off. And most guys, particularly the kind of guys who deserve to fuck you, will not react badly to this information. They will be grateful to have it. And if they aren't grateful to have it, fuck, well, don't fuck them. How about that? Don't fuck them. Hey, Dan. I'm a 35-year-old straight male in a major city and have a unique living situation that I need your advice on. Uh, basically, I'm technically married and living with my legal wife. On the other hand, we've been separated for about a year and a half, but things were on a noticeable downward trajectory for at least six months before that. Now, we dated for about 10 years. Um, yeah, uh, there's absolutely no chance that we're getting back together, and we actually do make much better roommates and friends than married partners. In fact, the only reason we got married in the first place was to game the financial aid system and get her qualified as an independent so that she could go to school. You know, we're both actively dating now, and as a side note, I'm loving being out there because I was a serial monogamist before meeting her when I was 24, so I basically spent my traditional oat-sowing years either desperately looking for a relationship or married. Essentially, I was never a player, but I'm really enjoying making up for lost time. Now, my, my ex and I have the same problem, though. When and how is the best way to address our living situation? Neither of us expects to be living together indefinitely, but it is going to be at least until next June because we just signed a one-year lease. Also with this is the fact that neither of us is in a rush to get divorced, and that's purely because of financial reasons. It's nice to be paying less in taxes and getting a bigger refund every year than if we were single. In the full interest of living by the campsite rule, I just want your thoughts on when disclosure is either appropriate or necessary. I did date one girl for a couple months and felt the need to tell her early on before we had sex. She handled it great, and but there was definite weirdness, and it did affect our whole relationship. And I'm starting to wonder if it's better to hold off saying anything until more intimacy and closeness is created between me and my new partner so that she will know that I'm into her and she has nothing to worry about about me going back to my ex or my ex being weird with her. You know, the only wrinkle with that is that in the meantime of disclosing that, you know, she will have met my ex many times and hung out with her and have gotten to know her a bit as well. Now, my ex and I don't do everything together or anything, but we, you know, we'll go out to bars and that type of stuff. And then, you know, my new partner will be over and my ex will be hanging out too. So is it better to rip the Band-Aid off early and get it out at the risk of creating an irreparable crack in the foundation of a new relationship? Or should I wait and risk having my new person feel cheated and taken advantage of? Of course, I guess I could always just get a divorce, but that seems to make too much damn sense. My issue, let's say that I had a vagina and you were dating me and disclosed this after you know an appropriate amount of time and I wasn't angry about you withholding this information because you didn't withhold it for long. My issue would be not so much the marriage as the inertia and the laziness. Like why not just – Get fucking divorced if you guys don't want to be married anymore and then you wouldn't have this problem. But you're holding on to each other and you're you know, staying married and that's creating an issue where otherwise there wouldn't be an issue at all. And that's what would concern me because you don't want to be with somebody who manufactures issues. You can have enough issues over the course of a relationship that you don't want to be with an issue-seeking 
douchebag. Not calling you a douchebag, but you just don't want to be with an issue creating, seeking, manufacturing douchebag. Relationships are tough and complicated all by themselves. You know, if you can make an argument as to why you're staying married for the tax break, uh, because divorce is expensive and you guys are short on funds, or yeah, marriage is quick and easy. Marriage is fifty bucks, uh, seventy-five bucks, a license, and a judge will do it for you for nothing. Uh, but divorce is thousands of dollars. Divorce is a little harder to pull off uh, when funds are tight. If you can make that argument and, you know, we dig each other as friends and we have a really great companionship and knowing that, you know, when a woman hears that, part of what she's looking for in a partner is someone who's going to regard her that way as the really good companion, the person they want to go hang out with and drink with. So even if there's no sexual relationship between you and your wife anymore, you rolling that out isn't necessarily going to be a reassurance. But if you can unpack it in this way – finances, we're going to get divorced right now, money's tight, we're still living together because of the lease and uh, we have a very low conflict relationship and always did. And then you have to introduce the wife to the girlfriend because the world is full of men who've made the claims that you will be making who were lying about it, who weren't divorced, never intended to get divorced, didn't have a companion or friendly relationship with their future acts. It's almost like you're engaged to get divorced. Maybe you should roll it out that way. We have an engagement to get divorced a year from now. We're going to have a long divorce engagement. Uh, but then you got to produce the ex. And that might goob some women out, but it might goob them out more. If they have any sense, it'll goob them out more to not meet your ex and not be able to verify your story, not be able to hear it from your divorce fiance's mouth. Hi, Dan. This is a 23-year-old gay male. Um, I'm calling because I just wanted to get your opinion on something. Um, for the last three years, I've been living very comfortably, very openly as a gay man. But however, um, every now and again, maybe every month or so, once a month, um, I have very intense, very real fantasies about women. And um, I mean, yes, I was one of those, you know, by now gay later kind of guys. Before I was 20, I was by, and I kind of don't want to tell anyone about these these fantasies because I think my gay friends would think I'm trying to put on airs and trying to, you know, butch it up or something. And, yeah, I mean, I guess conceivably I could sleep with a woman, oh, and especially during those times that I, I'm having those fantasies, I want to. Um, but at the end of the day, I would never end up with a woman, and so, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of confusing, I guess, because I've been, here I am, I've been so, you know, sure of my my sexual identity for so long now, and every now and again, this thing crops up. So just uh, wanted to get your opinion on that. Sexual identity is more than just what you're capable of. It's what you choose to tell people. It's the best descriptor, right? And it sounds like for you, the best descriptor is gay. You are gay identified. Uh, you want your sexual identity, which is really kind of a choice because you do get to choose to tell people what you are. You label yourself. You want it to reflect you know, who you want to fuck, who you are fucking. And then if what you tell people about yourself you know, roughly aligns with those things, if you're you know, fucking the people that you want to fuck and then you tell the truth, uh, then you're not going to be a, a Ted Haggard or a George Reekers or a Phil Hinkle. You're not going to be a big, messy, conflicted, lying closet case, right? Um, if gay identified is the you know the best descriptor for you, you are mostly attracted to men. You are emotionally and intimately attracted to men. You see yourself with a guy uh, way, way off in the future with a picket fence and a couple of dogs, maybe some kids running around. 
then, you know, rounding yourself up to gay from 95% same-sex attracted and occasionally maybe 5% a little around the edges, there's occasionally a fantasy, a girl, whatever. I don't think that that's a lie and I don't think that's inaccurate. But I also don't think you should have to lie to your friends. I think it's okay to say I'm gay identified. You know, I was bi-identified for a while. That didn't fit. That didn't feel totally honest because it's, for me, overwhelmingly males that do it for me and men that do it for me and relationships with men uh, are what I want. I don't think you should be insecure or worried about the reactions of your gay friends. And if it blows their mind, good, it should blow their mind. And no one would say to a straight woman, straight identified woman, who said, you know, I'm straight and I love my husband, but every once in a while I look at, name your female here, name your star. I want to say Uma Thurman, but that's a very ancient reference because I'm a very ancient fag. Uh, you know, swap somebody into there. Everyone, you know, Jennifer Lopez on American Idol. There's something about her. Every time I see her saying something, I just want to stick my pussy in her face. Whatever. No one would say to that woman, oh, your heterosexual identity is a lie and it makes me uncomfortable. They would say, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, sexuality is a little fluid and you should embrace that fluidity and you should embrace that little bit of gray. Gray rights. You don't have to be black and white. You can still be gay identified and acknowledge that occasionally you have stray, entertaining fantasies about women that you enjoy, but you have no desire to actually date a woman or be with a woman long term or romantically, which is why you identify as gay, because it's closest to the truth, which is all we can hope for when it comes to those labels, that they are closer to the truth than not. Everybody understands it comes to sexual identity. There's a lot of people out there who are rounding up or rounding down. So long as you're not rounding so much, it's a big fat fucking lie, a la Ted completely heterosexual haggard, nobody should have a problem with it. And you, I would encourage you in particular with your gay friends to be out about it, just to blow their minds, just so that they know that gay comes in all sorts of different permutations. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old married girl with three little children and a strong, fundamental, conservative Christian husband. I grew up homeschooled with conservative Christian parents and morals that would blow your socks off. I did not kiss till marriage. I didn't hold hands until my husband and I were engaged. And, of course, premarital sex was something that only evil people did. My husband and I have a good marriage overall with similar goals. Um, it's boring and we don't connect much, but it's a good marriage, I think. However, six months ago, after reading a lot of books about science and discovering that my homeschooling upbringing had sheltered me, I became a full-fledged atheist. This was a shock to my husband and is still a secret to my family. My kids don't even know yet. I would be okay saying in the marriage that there's one problem. Ever since I let go of my beliefs, my desire for true sexual fulfillment has come raging up as though it's just been waiting for this opportunity to appear. For example, I've always had strong feelings for my childhood female best friend. She actually admitted the same about a year ago. Um, after I stopped believing in God um, and that he would burn me for any bad behavior, let myself go, and we had some fun together. And it was totally amazing. Um, and then the same thing happened with another friend of mine. They asked me if I wanted to be part of a threesome, and I decided to go ahead and do it um, without telling my husband because he would believe that I was completely against God, and I did it, and it was wonderful. And um, ever since, I've never been so happy um, and my life is feeling more fulfilled and peaceful. But here's the thing. Um, I kind of want to do it again, but I'm married, and my husband is a strong, strong Christian and would never be able to agree to it, even though we have a very low-key marriage, and we know that we're not really very good at connecting with each other. So 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do since now that I've become an atheist, I realize I'm a different person than I thought I was. I don't want to leave my husband because we have three kids, but I also am going to go crazy if I just stay in the relationship the way it is. So my question is, do I ask him if I can have an open relationship or do I keep it a secret or what am I supposed to do in order to stay a sane person? Thanks so much. Do I ask him if I can have an open relationship? I think what you need to do at this point is tell him that you have an open relationship. Maybe he is in some sort of like monogamous relationship himself or he's behaving monogamously. But you certainly aren't. And that's information that conservative Christian, lack of connection, nut job he may be, he's entitled to. You are, I'm sad to say, even as an advocate of people getting what they want, uh, you're in cheating piece of shit territory here. Uh, I get it. You have three small children. You married young. You were brainwashed by this system that didn't lead to personal fulfillment and happiness. And sexual fulfillment is a big part of personal fulfillment. And people who lack it and don't feel it and don't experience it can, you know, go a little crazy. And maybe that's what you've done. You've gone a little overboard and if I may say uh, as an atheist speaking up for other atheists out there there's nothing about becoming an atheist or you know being an atheist or adopting atheism as your worldview that leads inexorably to uh, cheating piece of shit status the only thing that the thing that stands between most people and cheating is not their imaginary sky buddy Jesus Christ but a sense of a moral code a sense of right and wrong which is not you know, just religion. I'm not sure what to tell you to do. I would be afraid if I were you to go to my husband and disclose all of this uh, for fear of how he might react. You wouldn't want him to react paternalistically, violently, sky god, desert religion-y about it. That said, you do need to get your relationship onto a much more honest footing. Uh, whatever sense of disconnect you feel, I'm sure your husband feels too. And you may be able to go to him and say, clearly we don't have a strong emotional or sexual connection. We are good partners. We are good parents. Uh, I propose a companionate marriage where you do your thing, I do my thing. We you know, love each other as best we can. But we release each other from you know full disclosure or you know any sense of obligation outside of that marriage slash parent partnership that we do and do well and see what he says. He's probably going to say "fuck you." Uh, it'll probably be over. And you know wherever you live with your three small children, where you're fucking around on your husband, odds are this is going to get back to him. And then it's really going to get ugly and really going to explode. And you may be happier once your marriage is officially over because from where I'm sitting, I see someone who married young and who regrets it, who is slamming her hand down on the self-destruct button so fucking hard that when your marriage self-destructs, you're going to realize that that's ultimately what you wanted, that you did want out, which is why you are engineering Consciously or subconsciously, you are engineering out. You are engineering the end of your marriage. Uh, and that might be for the best. Might be for the best also if I had a time machine and we could jump in it and go back seven or eight years before you married, before you had children, and I could knock the Bible out of your hand and uh, 
hand you a stack of Richard Dawkins books and we could have jumped past all this. But then your three beautiful children wouldn't exist and that would be a tragedy. Good fucking luck. Hey, Dan, I'm a 25-year-old straight male from the Twin Cities and I need your help. A week or so ago, I, I met this girl who was a friend of a friend and we found ourselves conveniently alone after everybody went to sleep intentionally early. Her and I hit it off really well, and we talked for a couple hours, and then we started making out. And then we talked for a couple more hours, and it was awesome. The next day, I talked to my friend who got the lowdown from this girl and, and who said I was, I was a good kisser, perfect gentleman, and a nice guy. She said that, that her and I really hit it off well and that we have a lot of things in common and that she really wants to like me, but she just doesn't for some reason. Now, I thought maybe she wasn't attracted to me physically, but my friend tells me that that's not true. So I am not really sure how to proceed from here. I, I've talked to her a couple times online, and her conversations were just spectacular. She lives about 90 minutes away, which I guess for me isn't that far, but maybe this for her, so maybe that's the thing. But I'm also going to see her in a couple weeks at a wedding that both her and I are in. So what do you think I should do? Should I maintain steady contact with her? Sporadic contact, no contact. Should I just bail on the idea of getting with this girl? Like I, I just, I have no idea. I'm totally lost. So any help that you could give me, Dan, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks. So, this mutual friend, male or female? Female. And how, she tells you that this girl who made out with you and hung out with you and you seemed to click with and she seemed to dig you told her that she wasn't that into you. Well, well, she she said that she wanted to be into me, mm-hmm. and that that she it's, it's kind of odd. Like she said that like we we had everything in common. I was a great guy. I was a great kisser, um, but that she just for some reason um, couldn't get past something. What might that thing be? Do you think? I have no idea. I mean, because the way that the way that my mutual friend explained it, it sounded like. There was nothing really holding her back. Um, it's just that she was holding herself back. Okay. Well, here's what you do. You don't have much invested in this relationship, right? Nope. Not a whole lot. What's another couple of teaspoons of spit? Right? Basically, okay. you, have a, you, you had a make-out session. You have a couple of teaspoons of spit invested in this relationship. What's a couple more? Sometimes people meet somebody that – they're both attracted to and for some reason or other repulsed by it and not strongly repulsed, just like they have reservations or the guy mm-hmm. or the girl isn't you know, what they thought they wanted or the kind of person they pictured themselves with, but they feel pulled toward them. And yet what comes out of their mouth when they unload with friends is like, you know, I kind of liked him, but, you know, uh, 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 I'm just not that into him. And what you're seeing is their brain sort of in conflict about the fact that their bodies physically might be responding or they're actually physically and perhaps emotionally attracted to somebody who has some big other thing going on that for them was always kind of a romantic partner deal breaker. And part of becoming an adult is requires setting some of those aside. People when they're young have a million deal breakers. I just met a guy when I was out uh, interviewing people at Cornell who had literally had a list of 82 things he couldn't put up with in a potential boyfriend. And we went through his list and it meant there was nobody on earth that he could date at the end of it except for Prince Harry, maybe. 
Uh, sure. Well, of course. Yeah. And, and so I would, you know, maybe maybe she's just not maybe she's not into you, and she never will be into you. And whatever it is, is you know a circuit breaker kind of deal breaker where there's just no possibility. But keep an open mind. Be who you are, because that's well, the only there, kind of incentive that can sometimes help people get over that deal breaker thing. It's just being so into attracted to somebody who isn't what they thought they wanted, who's nice and respectful and present and available and not bitter and angry about. You know the, the 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 stress that person's going through about feeling, you know, pulled towards somebody that five years ago or two years ago they wouldn't have given the time of day to for whatever reason. Sure. Well, there isn't actually an update with this as well. Um, so a couple of days ago, we were both at a wedding, um, uh, that mutual friend's wedding actually, and we ended up um, staying at the same place, uh, a friend, another mutual friend's house, and we ended up staying up talking until like five o'clock in the morning. And it was awesome. I mean, there was no makeout session in there, but it was still, like, awesome. And I said, hey, you and I have a lot in common, and that's really cool. And she's like, yeah, I totally agree. And I, but, but, again, you know, I don't, I don't know what that, if that's actually going to turn out to be anything. Well, then ask her out. Ask her out on a date date. See what she says. Okay. Maybe, you know, you got to take a risk every once in a while. You got to jump. And, you know, yeah. I, I understand that sometimes people don't want to jump and they fear, you know, asking somebody out, being direct because you invite rejection. But wouldn't you rather know? Well, absolutely. Wouldn't you rather I know it's no? Reason to it. yeah. Right. You'd rather know it's no if it's no because then you don't have to wring your hands. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to wait for the next wedding and you don't have to call faggots like me on the phone and ask us what we think. You can find <laughs> out what she thinks. Yeah, sure. and, and and don't rule her out. You know, I know, uh, you know, guys. Uh, I, I know I have a friend who's really tall, tall woman. Always wanted to be the guy much taller than her. Wouldn't even accept phone calls, dates, drinks from guys who were shorter than her. Who's with a guy who's five four? Sure. And she fell in love with him despite it. She fell in love oh, with him, she, and she had to be sort of dragged, kicking and screaming to the altar, practically going, "Ah, oh, he's not what I wanted." Ah, 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 and he was kind of privy to that drama and that stress and that conflict and he just let it wash off him and now he's got this like tall babe wife and that might happen for you that might be it she just needs to burn through whatever things said or maybe she's just really not attracted to you and it's never going to be but you got to give her a chance because she might be it she might be the one okay well i'll just i mean yeah I, i got really nothing to lose by asking her i guess nothing to lose besides my pride so besides your pride and you know what you don't need that (laughs) <laughs> and pride has exactly. pride has no place in long term relationships. It really doesn't. You kind of got to burn through that before you can have a successful long term relationship. There's a lot of humiliating bullshit you have to put up with in a long term relationship <laughs> to make the fucking thing go. Absolutely. So if this destroys your pride, it just sets you up for the next girl who comes along that you might be able to be with forever because you yeah. will arrive pride free. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Dan. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Good luck. Let us know how it goes. All right, will do. Bye. Bye. And we're going to leave it there almost. First, though, before we go, uh, we've been flooded with calls about the whole douchebag issue. And the tech-savvy at-risk youth have put together a lovely sampler of your thoughts on douchebags. I'm a lady, and I, you know, I'm down with the vag. I say douchebag all the time. Besides the fact that it's a fun word to say, I think it makes sense. You know, we all know at this point that douching is pretty unhealthy for the vagina. It's unnecessary. You know, it takes a good thing, good thing that's going. You know, you've got a good mix of good and bad bacteria. Everything's going smoothly. Then the douche comes in, fucks everything up. It's stupid. It's just a stupid idea. So why wouldn't we call people douchebags, right? Like, you know, 
I think a douchebag person is just as stupid, unnecessary, and, you know, jive-ruining as a douchebag douchebag is. Get over yourself, lady. Nobody thinks about icky, smelly anything with that. People think of Yankees fans. People think of frat boys with two popped-up collars. That's not what the word means anymore in that context, so just get over yourself. Don't be so offended. Jesus Christ. I think most people could reasonably assume that as intelligent adults, we know that douching is actually really, really bad for women's vaginas. So I am all for keeping it around as a pejorative of people who are basically bad for women and the like. I've always interpreted douchebag as an insult to the man who treats people as disrespectfully as I feel like douching is disrespectful to vaginas because the vagina is a self-cleaning organ and it smells just fine on its own. And just like we don't have to wash out our eyeballs, we don't need to wash out our vaginas with anything that smells like a summer's meadow or an autumn breeze or anything like that. Um, I love douchebag as an insult, and I feel like it's one of the most kind of like politically okay insults to say right now because douching really is a bad idea. And I think it's fine to associate people who do bad disrespectful behavior with a bad and disrespectful hygiene product that is totally unnecessary and unhealthy. Yeah, I don't think you have to worry about <clears throat> calling people douche because from where I'm standing, douche has nothing at all to do with the sex of the person using the douche. It's basically a great insult to call somebody a flaccid bag full of tepid tap water, good for nothing but flushing. I have always taken the word douche to be an insult to somebody who is acting like a douche, uh, aka something that is unpleasant, um, mass and gill flavored, like kind of vinegary, um, how that would feel um, awful being putting that into my genitals. Um, and I think that, you know, anal douching with water or being really nice to your body, then you could sort of reclaim the douche. But in general, like douche, a douche or a douchebag is a jerk who uh, is kind of hard to be around and makes me go unpleasant inside. So, uh, yeah, please keep calling people douchebags if they're being a douche. All right. Thanks. Bye. So douche is in. We're going to keep douche. I'd like to actually introduce a new uh, douche thing. Uh, I've been running around the country a little bit taping things for the upcoming MTV Savage U show. And we were in Cornell, which GQ declared the douchiest school in America. And we talked to a bunch of people about what that means, including the fact that girls are never really called douches. Douches kind of mean guys. Um and we witnessed something uh, at colleges, uh, at the few universities we've been to already. We were going out to the bars, going out to the clubs, we're hanging out. And there's this point at which if you take enough young people and, and throw alcohol at them and put them in a room full of testosterone and estrogen and hormones and horniness, you reach this tipping point where shit just gets crazy. And we began to call that tipping point the douching hour, like the witching hour, but with douchebags instead of witches. So keep an eye out for the douching hour. Maybe you guys could send us some examples of douching hours that you've witnessed, which isn't just like somebody was a douche and that's a douching hour. No, it's like a whole room or community or street full of people suddenly tip into douchey behavior. That is the douching hour. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Please give us a buzz if you want to record a comment or a question for a future show. 206-201-2720. All of us here at the Savage Lovecast want to say that we are with the Occupy Wall Street gang. When the Occupy Wall Street 
gang was getting off the ground here in Seattle, I sent 20 dozen donuts uh, one of the first days it was happening in the morning to all the campers who spent the night. Uh, totally on your side. We are also here uh, for 99%. 206-201-2720. That's the number at the podcast. Give us a buzz, question or comment for a future show. Me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. We'll be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading, and, and thanks to the Occupy Wall Street demonstrators and protesters for changing the conversation, for taking the momentum away from the Tea Party douche bags and bringing it back to the people. 206 201 2720. Talk to you next week. <laughs>